Providing for your family is a top priority. But what happens when you need affordable health care? Christian Healthcare Ministries could save you up to 40% today. As a member, you can choose your provider without network restrictions. Sign up at your convenience with our anytime enrollment. Join a Christian community that supports each other's medical expenses, offering peace of mind as you prioritize what's most important. Enroll now at yourchm.org. Saturday, January 27, 2024. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The former Republican president won the New Hampshire primary this past week, but his lone GOP challenger says that's just two states down and dozens of states and millions of votes more to go. She says she's not going anywhere. The big picture is that uh, her path is extraordinarily narrow. I, I think, you know, one of the main things that keeps propelling her forward is that, uh, you know, the presumptive nominee is close to 80 years old, and he's got uh, looming criminal charges hanging over him. I'm Jared Halper. Former President Trump is using his influence to sway Republicans against the potential immigration and border deal in Congress. Some conservatives uh, doing the bidding of former President Trump to maybe kill the bill because it might help President Trump. They think that he's the only one who can fix the border. Why would you want to help President Biden and Democrats? This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. This week, former President Trump won the New Hampshire Republican primary by about 11 points. It's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember, in 2016, we came here and we needed that winner. We won by 21 points, and it was great. But after he won, he mocked his former U.N. ambassador for taking the stage before him, vowing to continue on in the race. And she was up, and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. Trump said anyone who donates to Nikki Haley, his now lone Republican challenger, is no longer allowed in MAGA camp. So Haley posted a link on social media to donate to her campaign. They said they received over a million dollars in a day. But on America's Newsroom on Friday, in her first interview since the primary, she was asked by Fox's Bill Hemmer how she plans to win over base Republicans. First of all, I will win Republicans, but guess who else I win? I win moderates and I win independents, which he does not. That is why he lost in 2018. That's why he lost in 2020. That's why he lost in 2022. And that's why in every poll you see, he loses to Joe Biden and I win. But some in the Republican National Committee floated a proposal after the primary to make Trump the presumptive nominee. Haley said that came from Trump supporters, and he only walked it back, saying they should let this play out at the ballot box because of the blowback. Um, some major blowback, and that's why he had to walk it back. I mean, look, you can't bully your way through this process. He has 32 electoral um, delegates. I have 17. You have to have 1,215. There's a long way to go in this race, and we're prepared to do that. We have a country to save. She says she has the money to stand, too, and South Carolina's Republican primary isn't until February 24th. South Carolina is her home state. Well, I think the, the big picture is that uh, her path is extraordinarily narrow. Darren Shaw is a professor of government at the University of Texas at Austin, a Fox News pollster and member of the Fox News decision desk. I think, you know, one of the main things that keeps propelling her forward is that, uh, you know, the presumptive nominee is close to 80 years old. Um, we're not quite sure what kind of health he's in. He's got uh, looming criminal charges hanging over him. And I, I do think there's a sense that it's, you know, as likely that 
Trump has something that kind of knocks him out of the race uh, in the offing as it is that Haley simply, you know, defeats him in a head-to-head -head contest. Okay, so, but setting that aside and talking about kind of the race at hand, um, I point to something that I, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. Um, South Carolina, yes, it's the next contest. Um, I think it's a much better state for Trump than it is for Haley, ironically, given that she's former governor. But uh, a significant amount of the Super Tuesday balloting is actually going to be done early. So take uh, oh. you know the two major states on Super Tuesday, California and Texas. 70% of California vote is going to be banked prior to Election Day. 66% of Texas vote is going to be banked prior to Election Day. Um, for me, uh, if, if I were advising Haley, and I'm not, um, <laughs> I would be very tempted to, to take a look at, and, and delegates in those states are awarded through the congressional districts, through the voting in the congressional districts. So I'd take a look at places in Northern California, places in Los Angeles, places in Dallas and in Houston, congressional districts where there are, um, you know, a decent amount of uh, moderate to yeah. liberal Republicans and see if I can win delegates out of some of those congressional districts, right? I don't need to beat Trump in the state to do a decent job of getting, let's just say 20, 25, 30% of the delegate hall coming out of those places. Um, you know, I, I haven't heard many people talking about that, but this is this is revisiting, by the way, just my, uh, my criticism of the Sanders campaign in 2020, where, you know, they didn't bank any of the early vote in those important Super Tuesday states. So they got absolutely swamped when Biden beat them badly in South Carolina. Right. The, the momentum from South Carolina overwhelmed Sanders and everybody else in the Democratic nomination. Well, part of that was their own fault. Um, they could have basically banked the vote against a backdrop where Biden didn't look good at all heading into Super Tuesday. Right. So um, anyway, it's a little inside baseball. But but to me, um, that would be kind of the game plan for Haley. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying she'd have to, if you want a path, then you have to sort of dig in and get and get really specific and nuanced. But it's, Nikki exactly. Haley has said, she said this, and some pundits have said this as well, that, that Trump, an incumbent, she calls him like a quasi or semi-incumbent, needs better numbers out of Iowa and New Hampshire than like 52, 55%. And yet at the same time, if you win Iowa and New Hampshire... Um, historically, you get the nomination. Is the difference here that, yes, you get the nomination, but if if you only have, like, in the low 50 percentile of, out of Iowa and New Hampshire, you're going to have a harder time winning the general? Yeah, I think that is the logic. There's an interesting kind of question right, right here is, should you treat Trump and, and analyze Trump's vote as if this were an open contest on the Republican side, right? And, and therefore, the appropriate benchmark is... Uh, you know, George W. Bush uh, running against McCain in 2000 or, um, you know, Mitt Romney running against the field in 2012. Right. Or do you treat Trump as an incumbent president? Um, you know, in, in which case, you know, losing 40 percent of the vote in New Hampshire doesn't look strong at all. It's it's kind of odd. You think about the general election, if Trump and Biden are the nominees uh, and setting aside Teddy Roosevelt running as a third party candidate in 1912, the last time you had two, basically, people with an incumbent record as president running against each other, you got to go back to the 1890s. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, you got to go back to Cleveland. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that that's what's stunning about this, right? We can talk about both in the context of the primary, but also in the general election, right? How often does an incumbent face an incumbent? Um, and, and voters <laughs> are asked to basically compare the records of the last two presidents. Um, that That's something that 
um, I think people have to get, are going to, analysts in particular, are going to have to get their heads around. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Um, after the head of the Republican National Committee said Haley didn't have a path after New Hampshire, some in the RNC said they wanted to vote on a proposal to make Trump the presumptive nominee. Um, Trump said, look, I appreciate that, but let, let's let this play out at the ballot box. Haley said she doesn't care what the RNC has to say. But then on Wednesday, um, Trump said if anyone donates to the Haley campaign, they are barred from MAGA camp. And then Haley said Thursday that after that threat, that her campaign raised over a million dollars. This is a lot of back and forth, um, but it's it, you know you can you can feel the tension building, right? What do you make of all of this back and forth after the New Hampshire primaries between these two? Yeah, it's, it, I just have two observations kind of off the top of my head. The first is um, the RNC's moves here are, are, are really interesting. You know, there's uh, prior to 1972-76, um, you know, the parties dominated. The nomination process. Um, you know, there were primaries, but they they really weren't um, dispositive. Uh, the results of primaries were just kind of taken as shows of strength, and the, the parties themselves, both the state and the national party, really controlled who got the nomination. Right. Uh, that changed in in the seventies, and then it's been the case since then that the aggregate preferences of voters across all these states determine who the nominees are going to be. I mean, there's some super delegates, but um, but you know, the voice of the people um, determines everything. The party's been scrambling to figure out how they exert more control over the nominating process since then. You know, they basically gave it away, and and there's a little bit of regret, right? They, they'd like to have more of a role. Um, you know, the Democrats kind of managed to do this informally in 2020 when all the candidates dropped out, kind of in deference to Joe Biden in their effort to beat Trump. Um, you know, this time around, the party elites, kind of strangely given Trump's history with the party, but the party elites have basically rallied around Trump. Uh, yeah. Whether because they think he's, you know, going to win, and they're so desperate to get Biden out, or whether it's it's fear of Trump's reprisal, right? So that's that's one observation. It's interesting that the party would now weigh in. Um, you know, the, the the second thing is that Nikki Haley, who's not, you know, you think of people who have been charged with being rhinos, right? You know, John McCain <laughs> or Mitt Romney. Um, Nikki Haley is not a rhino. Um, she's got a pretty conservative record across the board. But she's being defined by her coalition, you know, because the people who, you know, the people are voting for Nikki Haley. She was, she's who... being defined on that. She's being defined on that end by the, the further to the right conservatives. Right. They're the ones yes. saying, oh, you accept Democratic money. You know, you... So, so they're the ones defining that for her. Exactly. And, and it's funny because on most issues, I mean, she's, you know, MAGA is a relatively new kind of term. Yeah. But on traditional conservative issues, Haley's credentials are kind of impeccable. You know, the notion that she's the the darling of the left is is kind of funny. Um, but, you know, you're defined by, you know, the you know, the enemy of my uh, enemy is my friend or something like that. So, <laughs> um, you know, so the, the fact that uh, a lot of moderate, you know, soft Republicans and Democrats would love to see Haley defeat Trump just because it gets Trump out of the way. Um, that's defining her. That's that's her lane, whether, you know, she anticipated that or not. Um, I do think there's an interesting conversation about what it means for Nikki Haley's future in the Republican Party. Um, you know, I think people who think about Haley in 2028 are probably underestimating the extent to which her reputation has been kind of redefined by this particular contest. Darren, before I let you go, I got to talk about the issues, right? Immigration asked the economy as a top issue out of Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, and we hear we hear Trump say that if Congress does a funding deal 
that includes additional border security. It's a gift to the Democrats. And I guess we'll see if Trump derails things. But if Congress passes something that results in tougher border restrictions, could that realistically impact Trump's chances, especially if people start feeling that the economy is getting better, if the economy and and the border get taken off of the table to a certain extent. I mean, I don't think they'll be taken off the table fully. But if the if the high drama of these two issues gets taken off the table, does that impact Trump's chances? Oh, man, the Democrats certainly hope so. I mean, you're you're reading this exactly right. If I'm sitting in the Biden camp right now, I'm thinking we, we need the economy to stabilize you know, may, m- improve a little bit, but at least stabilize and maybe people get used to kind of the new prices, you know, a $9 box of Cheerios or something like that, right? Um, they need a, I would also include, they need a victory on foreign policy. I, I don't think they can head into this election with Israel, Hamas, and Ukraine kind of hanging out there. I, I think that really hurts the Democrats with not just uh, MAGA folks, but young people who are very much against U.S. involvement in both of those things. Um, and then they're obviously looking at the polls like you and I are, and saying that you know border security is a huge liability. Let's get a deal. Let's get some kind of deal on that. And I think the Trump people, you know, feel the same way. This is this is the irony, right, of of public policy during an election year, which is there's there's as much interest in, you know, kind of preserving your electability and your stash of issues on which you have an advantage as there is on actually addressing some of these problems. And I think you're seeing that playing out right now. White House wants a deal. I think the Republicans in large part would actually prefer the issue in some ways, right? Because it's 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 a pretty tough cutting one right now. This past week we saw, you know, Republicans dominated, right? But then we we saw President Biden out and about um, and and the campaign specifically was was focusing on abortion. Uh, this past week would have uh, marked the, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, but um, and President Biden was noting that along with Vice President Harris, along with both of their spouses in Northern Virginia, giving all of them spoke about it. I just wonder, you know, if we saw for 50 years uh, abortion was the Republicans' issue. Is it now the Democrats' issue? Is this now what, start using this as a, a tactic? And is it going to work? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in some ways, the Republicans and the the pro-life movement are the, you know, the dog that caught the car that they've been chasing for all this time. Right. And <laughs> it's it's unclear they know what to do with the car now that they've got it. And and now the opposition, uh, pro-choice people, you know, Democrats, they're the ones who are riled up. They, they're the ones who are aggrieved. They're the ones who want a policy change. And, you know, that energy. And suburban more... women, not just Democrats, right? Independent suburban right. women like those people. Yeah. Well, I think I think actually that in some ways uh, abortion has become a marker issue for women's rights generally. Um, and, and in particular, this is why it hurts the Republicans, I think, is it's symbolic of the perception that Republicans aren't as sensitive to women's rights generally as Democrats are. I'd be interested. And I've, I've looked at this a little bit. Uh, I've seen some evidence that actually abortion is a more important issue for women aged 40 to 64 than it is for women 19 to 30. Um, and, and I think wow, that's because, interesting. well, because Roe v. Wade was such an important kind of thing and abortion was, again, such an important marker issue for women's rights to that generation. For the younger generation, I'm not saying it, it, it's not important and that there aren't pro-choice attitudes, but it doesn't seem to be quite as salient, which is kind of interesting given the, the situation in life that those different you know cohorts kind of find themselves in. Um, yeah, Democrats want it to be an issue. They want to fundraise around it. I'm sure they had that date circled on their calendars as yeah. an opportunity to 
drive contributions. So it's both volunteers and contributors they're trying to get, but they also would love to have abortion as an issue instead of immigration. I mean, that's clearly what you know they, they're striving for here. All right, Darren Shaw of the Fox News Decision Desk, as well as Professor at UT Austin, thank you so much for joining. My pleasure, as always. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. The Senate came and went this week, again without finishing up long, ongoing bipartisan talks on immigration provisions. Despite signals early in the week that negotiations hit a fatal snag, Republican leaders insist they are not walking away. Securing an agreement, which could include caps on the number of arrivals at the southern border and tighter rules on asylum claims, has become crucial to a larger national security spending bill that includes billions in renewed military aid to Ukraine. But there are doubts. House Speaker Mike Johnson has made clear what he's seen from the Senate so far won't get support from his conference. And former President Trump, the frontrunner for the Republican nomination, also threw cold water on talks, writing on his Truth Social account, I do not think we should do a border deal unless we get everything and accept only what is perfect. So that's where we pick it up this week with Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. And this question, is there still a path to a deal? Talks are still going on. Mitch McConnell finally indicated that he supported the continuation of the talks. Uh, getting closer, we've heard about text for a while. Jared, I think you and I talked about this in December, and I said that this was going to be a February or March project. Look at the calendar. It is late January, and here they are. You know, it's it, it was funny that that uh, you know James Langford a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago. The Republican senator from Oklahoma came out on Fox News Sunday and said he thought they might have Bill Tex the next day. Uh, these things take a while. Here's the interesting dynamic from Capitol Hill over the past few days. So obviously, uh, former President Trump won the New Hampshire primary. He won the Iowa caucus. Uh, he is on cruise control right now toward the Republican nomination for president. He does not get along with Mitch McConnell, and the feelings are mutual. They call each other names. Uh, he's he's taken out. Uh, Mr. Trump has uh, you know you know broadsides against Elaine Chao, who is a former cabinet mm -hmm. secretary of his and the you know wife of Mitch McConnell. They just do not get along. So Mitch McConnell faces this weird dynamic of pressure where you don't have or you don't seem to have a majority of his conference for this border bill. Mitch McConnell is for it. He also attached it to Ukraine funding, something that he is very passionate about. He's probably the most outspoken member of either body, either side of the aisle, in favor of assisting Ukraine. So out of the middle of nowhere, McConnell gave this very cryptic speech to the Senate Republican conference, a, a meeting that went on for several hours about Ukraine on Wednesday. And all of a sudden, this news item materialized that McConnell might be open to breaking Ukraine aid away, uh, indicated that the Republican Party was in a quandary, or that was his word, over what to do about the border, and then also to try to understand, uh, you know, should they just maybe back away from the talks. 
So all of Washington exploded in this. Now, here's what's weird. Let me really take you down the, the rabbit hole on this. So I was putting together a report for a special report with Brett Baer about McConnell and the, where they stand with the abortion, uh, excuse me, where they stand with the border bill. And um, I had been there had been heavy criticism from Ted Cruz and Rick Scott and a few other conservatives of the way that Mitch McConnell was handling these negotiations. And so I asked his people, I said, you have a response to Ted Cruz. And they referred me back to his comments the day before, which is where he said, we got to do the border. We have an opportunity with a bipartisan coalition here. We have to help Ukraine. I'm like, well, that's not really a response to Ted Cruz. But then they leaked out these remarks from the Republican conference meeting saying that, oh, maybe the border talks are dead and they might break this off from Ukraine. Well, I spoke to three Republican senators, none of whom said that was the message they heard in the mm. meeting. Tyler Olson, our colleague who was staking out the Republican meeting, said he spoke with five members. And this was even before the news report was out. He said nobody indicated that coming out of the meeting, which you think they would. They would be screaming from mm -hmm. the mountaintops about that. And third of all, that wasn't even consistent with what McConnell's office had referred me to two hours before. <laughs> right. So so this was clean up uh, on aisle seven here for Team McConnell. And now he says, oh, I'm for it. And, and the talks continue. But it underscores his term, the quandary he has with conservatives in his party and this dissonance and disconnect with the former president and an effort by some conservatives uh, doing the bidding of former President Trump to maybe kill the bill because it might help President Trump. They think that he's the only one who can fix the border. Why would you want to help President Biden and Democrats? Uh, uh, let's just let him do that when he wins presuming he wins come November. But the White House and other Democrats have indicated that there are a number of Republicans, mostly in the House, they say, who are not serious about solving the border crisis. Mm -hmm. Would that not then kind of feed into that narrative that you hear from from critics of that approach? That's the problem. Uh, is that, uh, you know, you have people like Mitt Romney who says, well, I think it's just almost immoral, the idea that somebody for political gain would try to do something to harm the country uh, just to help you win. You know, James Lankford, who's the Republican senator from Oklahoma, basically said uh, the same thing. He said, I uphold the Constitution. He said, we have a right here to try and a responsibility here to try to fix problems. We're going to continue with our discussions. Um, so but that underscores uh, that fissure inside the Republican conference between McConnell. What happens to McConnell, frankly, if he becomes, if President Trump, uh, you know, wins, uh, you know, the election in the fall, uh, you know, wanting to get McConnell out, you know, Rick Scott, the Republican senator from Florida, ran against McConnell mm -hmm. uh, for leader last year, didn't do too well. Uh, but but just the the level of the invective and vitriol that was directed at Mitch McConnell by Cruz and others on Wednesday is palpable and it underscores the problems he has. Don't forget that he's well into his 80s now. Don't forget mm -hmm. that he has had health problems. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you could see somebody wanting to pounce here or maybe trying to drive out Mitch McConnell, especially if he, he missteps in some form. But if this passes, if this whatever agreement emerges here from these negotiators uh, clears the Senate with 60 votes, largely mm -hmm. the Republicans who go along with it would not be uh, Republicans who are sort of, I guess, tied to the former president. Right. I mean, I'm talking about, obviously, those negotiating this bill. Uh, we've certainly seen the criticism, as you pointed out, from 
Mitt Romney. I, I think I saw a similar statement from Tom Tillis. Mm-hmm. Uh, those Republicans, do they care what what the former president thinks about this legislation? Oh, oh some do, but but some are, are are more serious about trying to get a solution uh, for the border. Uh, Todd Young, Republican from Indiana, mm-hmm. he's somebody else who said as much. Um, so you see this coalition coming together here potentially where you have most Democrats, maybe in the mid to upper 40s, probably not going to get everybody. Right. And 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 then a, a group of Republicans, which could range from 17, 18, maybe in the low 20s, depending on what it mm-hmm. looks like. But that is not half of the Republican conference. And therein lies the rub. Maybe they do get a little more than that. Maybe Mitch, Con- okay. you know, there's a reason Mitch McConnell is a pretty good vote counter. Maybe he does know he's, a, <laughs> sure. you know, if he's got 49 Republicans, and he knows that he's at 25 or 26 or can get to 25 or 26. And he's got people like Ted Cruz and and others just bad mouthing him, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. Then fine. You know, you're always going to have that. And the other thing, don't forget that uh, you have somebody like Mitch McConnell. Who, you know, it's the responsibility of the leaders to take the arrows sometimes. And that's what mm. Mitch McConnell has been doing, certainly from former President Trump here. Um, maybe that flies air cover. But again, Here's the other dynamic. Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House. I was about to ask about the House. Yeah. Yes. The House doesn't have to take anything up. It, no, they don't. They don't. And and so if you have something that gets, as I say, that coalition of most Democrats and some Republicans, you can clear a filibuster in the Senate, get more than 60 votes. OK, that's probably would happen. But uh, he reasserted that the House's position is H.R. 2. That is this very strict bill that the House passed last spring. Now, what's funny with, you know, people leaving the House of Representatives and where the issue of border has evolved over the past year, frankly, that bill probably couldn't pass now in the House. Uh, So Johnson has been fairly consistent in saying he wants H.R. 2 or something that looks pretty similar to that uh, to be the the bill that comes out. Now, that couldn't pass the Senate. So, you know, you have the loggerheads. So what happens? Either this blows up in the House. And keep in mind, we've not gotten anywhere close to getting this thing through the Senate here. So I'm really talking about your time travel uh, there. Jerry, you know, we're, we're, we're further ahead here on this. You know, this is time traveling right, into right. the future here. But in any event, um, you could see maybe a coalition of some Democrats and some Republicans coming together and you get maybe close to, you know, certainly a majority or more than 300 votes, uh, maybe close to 300 votes on something like this. Uh, there are people at the polls in both parties, the polar opposites, uh, right wing Republicans, liberal progressive Democrats. And I had a very good source up here on, on the left tell me about a week and a half ago that there was just there, there were too many people at the margins who, who could kill this. There was no way that mm. what this proposal was was. Now, what was said to me is that you could break off Ukraine aid and probably pass that with a supermajority uh, in the House. But again, what does that okay. do for the border? Um, yeah. You could do that with a discharge petition going over the head of the speaker and conceivably. And again, this is why this bill text, which has been so elusive for so long, is so important is that once you get the bill text, yes, people are going to pick it apart and opposite, you know, people are going to find opposition to it and everything else. But that way you really start to understand where the votes lie. And I always talk about Mm. it's about the math. It is about the math, but you can't understand the math until you understand the language. And so we don't have language, legislative language yet. Therefore, we can't divine the math. The other element to this is certainly the ongoing impeachment effort of the DHS secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, which is expected to move forward pretty significantly next week, right? Right. There's going to be a markup session in the Homeland Security Committee. 
Uh, keep in mind that there has only been one cabinet secretary ever impeached, and that was William Belknap, who was the secretary of war in the mid-1870s. Everybody else has either been a president or a federal judge. So this would be extraordinary to do this on a cabinet secretary. Uh, then the question is, do they have the votes to impeach him on the floor? Now, it is about the math. Right. Mike Johnson, when the House convenes on Monday, keep in mind that the House has been out of session for the past week. The Senate has been meeting. The House has been out. Will come back in with the smallest majority that any House uh, they've ever had in the House in almost 100 years. You have to go back to the 1930s. He will have basically a two-seat margin because Bill Johnson, the Republican congressman from eastern Ohio, is now the president at Youngstown State. That will probably move a little bit here because you have a Democrat, Brian Higgins, from western New York, who's resigning sometime here in the next couple of weeks. There is a special election on Long Island to fill the seat uh, held by former Congressman George Santos, who was expelled. Mm -hmm. um, that's a jump ball, you know, at best. So who knows how, how that will go. But the bottom line is Steve Scalise, the, the majority leader, has not been in the building all year. Cancer treatments. Mm -hmm. uh, on any given day around here, Jared, you tell me who's out sick, who has an appointment, who has to go to a kid's basketball game, a choir concert. I mean, you, you know how it is. It's unbelievable. You And so, uh, again, this is going to be the... The talking a good get weather delays. We had that even a little bit. We had some, you know, halfway right. decent, and I'll say halfway decent <laughs> snowstorms in Washington, but other parts of the country too. It doesn't doesn't have to snow bad in Washington. It could be snowing someplace else and inhibiting members from coming in from elsewhere. So that's a problem. Yeah. So Johnson, in his letter, said we want to do it as soon as possible. All right, great. I asked that question though because the idea of impeaching a cabinet secretary who was also like the administration's lead negotiator for the broader immigration bill seems like a disconnect to me and that well, i guess it, is it, it I mean, is a so, little strange so does that does that i mean I, I guess does that then complicate sort of what we were talking about with what's happening in the senate and, and whether or not there's an agreement and how that agreement may be handled in the house when at the same time there could very likely be votes on the house floor over articles of impeachment against the cabinet secretary who negotiated uh, an immigration bill I mean, that might conceivably give them cover, conservatives to say, there's no way we're for this bill. You know, he's mm -hmm. not going to enforce it or anything. But then again, you know, that could backfire conceivably on the Republicans because they might say, look, we came to you with a bill that got X number of Republicans voting on this in the Senate. And we know there's Republican support to some degree in the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. And you're running around impeaching Mayorkas. OK, we know we're not pleased with him. That might that could be viewed as a bridge too far. I'll say this about impeachments. And we even talked about their effort to try to impeach, you know, President Biden, because that's on the docket, too. And that's not seemingly going anywhere except, you know, hearing from art dealers and, and you know, friends of Hunter Biden, which, yeah. you know, most people don't even know who these folks are, you know. And, and by the and, way, it sounds like there is an emerging agreement for Hunter Biden to to sit down for this deposition. Yes. Late February, February yeah. 28th. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, so that's coming. But at the same time, you can go back through the history books and politically, Jared, almost never does the party doing the impeachment impeaching. Does that work out politically for them? Mm -hmm. It didn't work out for the Democrats twice with former President Trump really didn't work out after January 6th. Frankly, if you look mm -hmm. at it that way, I mean, that's probably the most glaring example. Uh, Bill Clinton. Guess what? You know, he was at, you know, close to 70 percent in the polls. Uh, Republicans almost lost the House over that. Um, you know, even you can even go back to Andrew Johnson. It didn't work out, you know. I mean, so politically, these things have a way of backfiring sometimes. 
uh, if you if you use uh, history as your guide. And so uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you, you know that's the model that has happened here when you use a power in the Constitution like impeachment. Well, election year politics often have a outsized role in what happens in Congress in election years. That's starting to play out, and it will be a big theme that we look at over the next several weeks. So we'll keep having these conversations. Chad Pergram, always appreciate it. Absolutely. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, just two Republican contests are in the books, but the Biden re-election campaign says it's moving full steam towards November in a rematch of 2020. We'll hear from Democrats on that strategy and whether they're concerned about the president's re-election prospects. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.